what's interesting, Keith, is for some reason, this seems to be a new theme in some of the work that I'm doing is that people are so busy mm -hmm. and they the volume of work they have is just crushing. Yeah. And so they'll say things like, I can't do anything well. And mm -hmm. we all have, I mean, most of us don't want to do things badly. If we're going to do it, we want to do it properly, at least. Maybe we don't do it beautifully, but we want to do it properly. Yeah. And people are feeling like, I can't even do things adequately. And I feel bad about myself because mm -hmm. I don't have the time to do mm -hmm. good work. Mm -hmm. And so I think the question for us is, that's not sort of emotionally sustainable to do, to, to be, you know, unhappy with ourselves every day. Mm -hmm. And so how do we change our workload? And what, what can we discard so that we can focus on things and do, do the right work and do the right work well? Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joined by a higher ed leader, human resources expert, and my favorite Chronicle of Higher Education contributor, Allison Valencourt. I'm so excited to discuss so much with you to talk broadly about using our time strategically both personally and organizationally. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode and browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. And you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting today from, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. And now to you, Allison. Thank you so much for being here. It's a real treat for me to be able to talk with you after reading from you and sharing things that you've done over so many years. So I'm really glad that you're here. Why don't you tell folks a little bit more about what you have been doing what you and what you are doing? Sure. So Keith, uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am talking today from Iowa City uh, on the ancestral lands of the Iowa, uh, Meskwaki, and Sauk people. So thank you, first of all, for inviting me to join you. I'm thrilled to be here. I love your podcast. So I, um, after about a 30-year career in higher education, I joined the other side. I joined a consulting firm called Siegel. Uh, we're about 1,100 people, and we have offices throughout the U.S. and Canada. And I'm part, I'm a vice president and senior consultant with the Organizational Effectiveness Practice. And so I think of my work as amplifying the potential of people and organizations. So um, it is incredibly meaningful work to go into organizations, learn about their culture, help them reduce complexity, um, mm -hmm. increase kindness. So we don't we don't always build it, we don't always market it that way, but that's right. sort of you know what I'm hoping to do is is to make more compassionate workplaces, uh, make things easier for folks. And we do everything from organizational redesign to executive coaching to uh, inclusive policy design. So we offer a very broad range of um, programs and services. Mm -hmm. And I come to this work, uh, as I said, after a career in higher education. I was, my first job ever was as a research program administrator for uh, cancer research trials at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, moved from there to the University of Colorado, where I had HR roles and eventually became chief of staff to the president of the University of Colorado system, and then moved to the University of Arizona, where I had several roles. My last role was as 
Vice President for Business Affairs and HR, and I was also a faculty member in the School of Government and Public Policy. So I think that grounding in higher ed makes me super practical when I'm mm -hmm. working with clients because I don't talk from a theoretical uh, basis. I talk about what I've seen actually happen before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great on the ground. And I know you've had all these roles and I came to learn about you through pieces that you've written in the Chronicle. And I don't think it was the first piece that I read of yours, um, but you wrote a piece about the 22 hour pinata and it's very short and very, we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, but I remember reading this and being like, this is kind of a fun story. And then it got to the end and the kicker. And I just went, this is me. I do this all the time. Oh no, I felt so seen and so validated and also like so um, called out in a really great way. <laughs> so, um, and I have shared that piece. Uh, I have talked about it in workshops. I, I just think it's so brilliant and so many people connect with it. Um, so tell folks who haven't read it, and we'll link to it in the show notes, like I said, but tell us about the story of the 22-hour pinata. Yeah. So... My daughter was, one of my, my younger daughter was in high school and she was taking a Spanish class. And so one of her assignments was to create a pinata. And, and if you've made pinatas before, but you take mm -hmm. tissue paper and pencils and glue and you, this is very tedious process. I mean, I just, I admire homemade pinatas so much after seeing how long they take to make. But anyway, she um, starts this big project and she was gonna make a butterfly. And mm -hmm. it, it looked ambitious to me when she started. And after an hour, she just was in despair mm -hmm. because it was obvious that given the ground she had covered in one hour, it was going to probably take her 16 more hours to get this project done. Mm -hmm. And she had the weekend to do it. And I said to her, it's just a pinata. Like, <laughs> maybe you should stop, redesign the pinata, make it a smaller pinata, or you could just not even do the pinata and focus on your other homework. And I got such um, a tongue lashing from my daughter for suggesting that she be a slacker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's one of these kids who really wants to do, she's not kidding more, but he really wanted to do well. And mm -hmm. she was so insulted by my guidance to just, you know, lighten up. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't take 16 hours more. It took a total of 22 hours. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about this process was she could have, you know, the point of the project was not to spend 22 hours making a pinata. It was to understand sort of the, the art and the craft of making pinatas and how hard it is. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have to prove it by doing it for 22 hours, but she did. Um, and it got me to thinking about all the other 22 hour pinatas we have in our lives. And so we spend way too much time fussing over an email message or perfecting a presentation that where the slides go quickly. Um, mm -hmm you know, or designing a project plan. And so that was the question is what is your 22 hour pinata? And should you be investing as much time as you actually are? Yeah. And I, I remember reading that and just thinking, oh, I do that. Like uh -huh. it wasn't do it or not do it. Although that's an interesting question, <laughs> but it's also like maybe instead of a butterfly, you make something way easier. <laughs> or a baby <laughs> butterfly. A baby butterfly, something small or something that's just round that can be so easy with fewer moving parts. And, um, and I so resonated with that um, overachiever, uh, got to get it right. Don't want to, you know, have any regrets uh, in your daughter. And then there's the sort of the wise mind, which was your voice, particularly at the end saying, 
we could have just skipped this. You could have done other <laughs> homework that was more substantive. We could have had yeah. dinner with that other family we really enjoy. That right. this was um, not. And and I, I think about all the all the things that could be relatively simple that I make complicated and blame other people <laughs> for how oh. complicated are they are. And then I this just is like no, you did that. Right. Nobody asked you to make a 22 hour pinata. You decided butterfly and you decided it had to have all of these colors and you decided it had to be done this way, um, that there was a simpler path. And so I, I think about that all the time. What, what do you blame other people for? I'm so curious. Oh, why is my boss having me spend all this time on this when oh. when when my boss probably never intended for me to spend see, all yeah. my time? I made it complicated. I decided it didn't have to be two pages, but a 12-page report, uh, including yeah, yeah. all the data and all the things and references to all of this and all of that. And now I'm blaming my boss when in reality, I expanded the scope and the complexity because I yeah. didn't want to be criticized or I didn't right. want to let anyone down or I needed to prove to myself mm. that I was good enough, that inner critic kind of coming in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I fall so easily into more, 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 more. Mm. You know, what's interesting, Keith, is for some reason, this seems to be a new theme in some of the work that I'm doing is that people are so busy mm -hmm. and they think the, the volume of work they have is just crushing. Yeah. And so they'll say things like, I can't do anything well. And we all have, I mean, most of us don't want to do things badly. Mm -hmm. If we're going to do it, we want to do it properly, at least. Maybe we don't do it beautifully, but we want to do it properly. Yeah. And people are feeling like, I can't even do things adequately. And I feel bad about myself because mm -hmm. I don't have the time to do mm -hmm. good work. Mm -hmm. And so I think the question for us is, that's not sort of emotionally sustainable to do, to, to be, you know, unhappy with ourselves every day. Mm -hmm. And so how do we change our workload? And what, what can we discard so that we can focus on things and do, do the right work and do the right work well? Right. I, I talk a lot about this in workshops around, um, hey, you're, you've done this thing and this strategy and how are you going to assess it? And people immediately jump to like a pre-test and a post-test and IRB approval and all of this stuff. And I'm like, how about you just ask on index cards how it went? <laughs> <laughs> and they go, oh, like, let's let's not do that. And I think um, it reminds me of Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism. Yes, yes. Um, and I often do an activity with, with uh, organization saying, what could you or your organization stop doing or spend a lot less time, energy, and effort? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people have thoughts about that. They have mm -hmm. ideas, often things they've never shared. And I think just putting some of those things on the table for us to discuss, like, what are we, do we have weekly reports with 12 questions that could maybe be two questions? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could this meeting that we do every week be every other week? I mean, just small little things like that can really right. free up time and capacity. And you mentioned the emotional overwhelm, but also the time overwhelm. And I just spoke with someone this morning who said, I was in meetings every hour of every day. And then I go home and do my work on nights yeah. and weekends. Yeah. And you can do that in short burst occasionally, but if that's the regular practice, it's not sustainable. Well, it is the regular practice for so many people. Yeah. It, it really is. I was actually talking to someone today um, who was having their first vacation in four years coming up mm -hmm. and work seven days a week. And, you know, he's very passionate about his work and he wants to do a good job. And I said, it's not sustainable. 
to do this? And are you really doing your best work if you're just working on time? Cause you're not fresh. You're not energized. Yeah. You're, you're dedicated for sure. Yeah. But I said, what if you just made yourself take some time, you know, during the week to go see a play or meet a friend for, you know, dinner and just come back and maybe feel refreshed, maybe you'd be better. And he's mm -hmm. like, oh, I wish I could, but I'm so busy. I'm right. like, yeah, I know, I know. But you have to break the cycle sometimes. Right. I was just telling folks, uh, when my my children were born, I was fortunate enough to get six weeks of parental leave. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, I was working nights and weekends and scrambling and hustling. And I was so important. I was so critical to so many things. And I remember thinking, you know, there's no way that they're going to leave me alone. And so I was setting up like all of these things, like, all these boundaries and how I was going to navigate when they emailed me and when they called me while I was away on my leave. And I was going to be really good about not getting caught up in things. And I wasn't going to be working four hours a week. And I really was like, how am I going to do this? They never called me once. Mm. <laughs> they never called me once. And when I went back, they were excited to see me and they were appreciative. People had covered, right? So they're glad to have me back. But it was such a great reminder when it was like 545 and I felt like I needed to do this thing like yeah, no, they made it six weeks without me. Yeah. I'm not the linchpin that I have told myself uh, that I am. So maybe I could take a vacation. Maybe I could go home at 530. Maybe I could do some of these things. So it's so interesting that you say that because it reminds me of a story about I, I, a speaker came to campus one time and her name's escaping me. I'll, I'll try to remember it, but because uh, she's amazing. But she talked about what women do when they go out of town. Mm. And she's telling the story about this woman that she knew who um, would lay out all the kids clothes for the week and mm -hmm. then make all the dinners for the week. And everyone mm -hmm. is laughing. And I'm thinking to myself, doesn't everybody do that? Because mm -hmm. I would leave and I would on the dining room table, there'd be Monday clothes, Tuesday clothes, Wednesday clothes, and all the food is in the refrigerator. Yeah. And she said, what message are you sending to your partner and to your children about the competence yeah. of of the father, uh, the father in this case, or the partner in this case, you know, partner, yeah. father, partner. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I went home that day and I announced to my husband and to my children that I wasn't going to do that anymore because it was insulting to their dad that I was doing this. He was very capable. And mm -hmm. from now on, they were going to be, he'll, he'd be taking care of them. Mm -hmm. And one of my daughters started to cry. And she said, she said, but mom, he'll make us eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened as a result of that is they created crepe night, oh. um, which they carried on for years and years and years. Oh. And so they, they liked my cooking better mostly because I'm more of a short order cook than he ever was. But um, they established some really beautiful traditions about yeah. crepe night and, yeah. and ways to get through. And they could just wear whatever they liked. And it was good. So it was yeah. a really good lesson for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I really appreciate the, the gendered nature of that. I, the flip side of that is I remember uh, listening to a college president uh, talk and talking about how he managed. Someone said, you know, how do you manage all the pressure and all the things? And he talked about... Um, how one of the things he really loves to do is fold laundry hmm. and you could hear the room swoon hmm. like just audibly like oh and just the fact that he that the president folded laundry was just like oh my gosh what a what a guy 
Right? <laughs> and so how how different the gendered expectations are, at least in these two different examples, where when she goes away, she has to do all of these things and manage all of this. Yeah. And that's just expected. Whereas when he folds some laundry, it's it like, crazy. oh my goodness, how, how exceptional. So Yeah. But it makes me think about what you said about getting all your systems in place so that mm -hmm. everything is covered is in some ways, what message does that or did that send to your team that I don't really trust that you can't contact me because so I'm, I'm so important. Yeah. Rather than say, I trust you. See you in six weeks. Let me enjoy yeah. my new baby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they sent that message for sure. They were like, we're we're fine without you. Um, one of your recent pieces. I mean, I don't know when that twenty two hour pinata, but I've been talking about it for at least six. Twenty thirteen. I twenty thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So ten years, uh, yeah. and I've probably been talking about that whole time. One of your more recent pieces in the Chronicle really focuses on meetings. And this mm -hmm. is uh, the 22 hour pinata, folks want to, it's a few paragraphs. It's very short. Right. Um, this meeting piece is quite extensive about how right. to have better meetings with a lot of good thoughts and about framing, but also some tactical things. So um, many of us spend most of our time in meetings. Um, most of us lead meetings. We're in meetings. Um, we talk about how this meeting could have been an email, right, um, right. but then we also complain about having too many emails. So we mm -hmm. can maybe circle around to that. How, how would you suggest, uh, what, what would you suggest about how we can make meetings better uses of our time? Well, you know, it's interesting. After having been in, when I was in higher ed for a long time and I had senior leadership roles and I was in meetings all day long, like, yep. you know, most people are. And I thought I'm so important. I'm in meetings all day. And then I would, you know, you do all the work that's created by the meetings at night or on the weekends. Um, and then I joined a consulting firm where you don't get paid to go to meetings. You get paid to do work mm -hmm. with, with things that deliverables. I mean, mm -hmm. you might have a client meeting, but it's it's in, every hour is being built mm -hmm. and it gave me a whole new perspective on meetings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back when I was in universities, I would calculate, I'd estimate people's salaries around, you've done this before, you estimate everybody's yeah. salary, this, this meeting cost $2,500. Um, yeah. I really, I, you know, I think about it for myself, like, what am I doing with this meeting? And so I really think that we first, we should think about just because we've always had meetings, do we really need to have these meetings, mm -hmm. right? And you you asked some important questions at the beginning, like, you know, do they have to be so frequent? Do they have to be so long? Um, mm -hmm. Does everybody need to be there? But, mm -hmm. you know, meetings are so political, right? Um, even though we don't, we complain about going to meetings, if we get disinvited from a meeting, we feel mm -hmm. very disrespected. Mm -hmm. And so how do we make it... Um, a gift to be disinvited from a meeting or do you yeah. just stop the meeting and start a new meeting so people don't feel like they've yeah. been you know you know removed from the meeting i don't know have you, have you ever been disinvited from a meeting before keith yeah here's what i find i find that in particularly student affairs folks we we can fall into includer in the basement where we just mm -hmm. add 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 add, add yeah. so no one's feelings get hurt and then we're so reluctant to cancel meetings like i'm just i don't know if we have enough but i don't want to cancel i don't want people to feel like their time's not valuable and so I find that leaders are so reluctant to cancel meetings. And then I ask them, what happens when you're invited to a meeting and the meeting gets canceled? Oh, it's a joy. It's a thrill. Yeah. It's so grateful. I'm so appreciative. I'm like, okay, so we're going around so hesitant to cancel yeah. meetings or uninvite people to meetings. And when, we, when we're when we invited to a meeting, we get uninvited. Right. It's like 
fireworks. Like, this is amazing. I get an hour back in my life. Now I can work and not do it in the after hours. So yeah, yeah. cancel more meetings. Yeah, I do think, I mean, it's so hard to get people's calendars. And so if you think that you need a regular meeting, I think calendaring it, but always saying, we'll only meet if we need to. And I will try to give you advance notice because, you know, I'll be honest, when I get a meeting canceled the hour before the meeting, I'm relieved and I'm also annoyed because I could have scheduled a very different day if I'd had more notice. Great point. So, yeah, I would say that. But, um, you know, in the article, it's a guide, actually, the this Chronicle piece. It is very long. Mm-hmm. Um, I I asked five key questions. Should I go over the, can I go over the questions? Yeah, please, questions? please. So I say when, it, when you're thinking about meetings, ask yourself five questions. So one is, you know, what am I actually trying to accomplish with this meeting? And there are lots of things that we can accomplish, right? Are we trying to make a decision? Are we trying to share information? Are we trying to celebrate something? Are we trying to um, get diverse perspectives? You know, what are we trying to do there? And we can talk about more of that if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. Who should be invited to the meeting? What's the best way to structure this meeting? The meeting structure is so important. Um, What bad things could happen (laughs) in -hmm. this meeting? And how can I um, anticipate them and manage them? Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, uh, what are the best ways to make decisions and move forward? Uh, and then like a bonus question, which is how can I make the next meeting even better? So those are a few of the, the questions that mm-hmm. I cover in the, mm-hmm. in the guide. Have you, have you thought about, uh, I love the structure of the meeting. Uh, you were making me think about the importance of where meetings happen. And I'm thinking about uh, on college campuses, what building, because, you know, the geography of a campus has meeting. What is what does the room look like? How is the room set up? Is it a classroom? Is it a boardroom? Is it a conference table? Um, Have you thought about the where the the meeting location um, and how that affects meetings? Yeah, I mean, I think that people like to the degree it's possible, people like to meet in in nice spaces. Mm-hmm. And they behave better when they're in nice spaces. That's true. Just something that I've noticed before. Have you noticed that? I have. I, I do a lot a lot of speaking, and it's very different when you're in a gym and you've mm. got a bad screen and a microphone mm-hmm. and you're on the floor of the gym and they're all in the bleachers. There's environmental cues about what we do in this space, right? You talk to your friends, you make comments, you engage in that way. Then a classroom with desks and stationery, and you're sort of like in those versus right. you know a boardroom. Yeah, I think it's really different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you know, I think people should be facing each other when you're having a meeting. Mm-hmm. It's really hard not to, it, I don't know. I, I used to go to faculty senate meetings all the time and it was in this auditorium, raised auditorium. And it just, mm-hmm. it felt so sterile and terrible. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah, I think you're really, you, your sense that meeting space matters is, is mm-hmm. true. And I also think that when you have meetings in different spaces, you can also get some interesting behavior because you just sort of shake things up a little bit and you don't feel like you're in the same meeting, you know, day after day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I think we just get environmental cues from all sorts of things from, yeah. you know, if the agenda is in red, it says something to people. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a boardroom that looks like where important people meet, it says something to people. Mm-hmm. If it's a small room, it, you know, it just says things. Um, we could ignore that and it's still going to do those, or we can really be mindful and pay attention to that. Right. Right. Um, you mentioned, um, the different purposes of meetings. I think one of the challenge is of, of limiting meetings, having fewer meetings, canceling meetings, inviting fewer people, which we're kind of encouraging 
is this fear of not getting enough input or not getting enough input from the right people or, yeah. or, or on the other side of a decision, people criticizing the decision. So we kind of include them along. Um, so how do you suggest we balance gathering input and moving to making a decision? Yeah, well, I think it depends on your culture um, mm. for sure, but how, how much consensus you have to, to reach. But I, there was a Ann Hart who was president of the University of Arizona um, several years ago, said something really profound to me that I've always remembered. And she said, gathering input is important, but it's not important forever. There comes this time when we need to to dis, to make a decision. Um, we need to decide, and that's when we make a decision. And if we learn that we've made a bad decision, then we can make a better decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was this idea of sort of purposely making a an suboptimal decision was not something I don't know for some reason I hadn't really thought about that before yeah. um, and I think that's what we do in higher ed all the time we want to get things perfect yeah. before we finish mm -hmm. and that's not how innovation happens you go fast you try something it works or it doesn't work and then you iterate and you do it again yeah you learn and so, pardon me you learn you learn, learn right away and make make adjustments yeah. yeah yeah the other thing that we do in in higher ed so often is we make big decisions instead of a series of small decisions mm. and so often by the time we've actually made the final decision the need for the decision has passed mm -hmm. right or mm -hmm. the the enterprise um you know information system we want to implement has now you know no longer available to be purchased and yeah. something else has been replaced right so we wait too long um and it's interesting, I, you know, being in conversations and, and people are comparing university presidents and there were two university presidents that in my world that were always being compared. One was quite methodical and one was always like throwing up, you know, 10 things, poles in the air and then see what, you know, what would work. And people were quite critical of the president who would try a bunch of things and expect things to fail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very interesting, but what was interesting is he, he got much more accomplished than the methodical president did mm -hmm. because he just tried stuff. Mm -hmm. And so how do we communicate to people that we're going to try things, things might not work and we're okay with that. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a hard message for people who are used to being very perfect. Right. Yeah. You're reminding me of design thinking and, and how higher ed likes to have committees that meet for a year or two and, and do yeah. that. And, and, um, in nonprofit worlds and corporate worlds, this pace of decision-making and change and learning and iterating yeah. is so much faster. You don't try and come up with a piece of software. Right. You roll out something to your own staff, let them work with it, make it better. Then you roll it out to your current customers and get a lot of feedback and see what yeah. bugs happen, make it better. And then you improve it, right? There's all this iteration along the way. And then it goes out to other folks and you're improving and modifying along the way. Right. But, you know, you, you asked an important question about how do you weigh, you know, how much input. I think one thing that can be useful is to declare how long you're going to accept input. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to do it for eight weeks or we're going to do it for three months. But we're not going to, you know, just because you want two years to study this, you don't get two years. Mm -hmm. We don't have mm -hmm. time for that. We, we've mm -hmm. got to take action. And people will mobilize and act quickly. The other thing that happens in decision making, and again, this is very higher ed centric, I suppose, mm -hmm. is that the way decisions get made um, are not always clear. 
So I'll say I want a new policy. You know, some universities have really great, and colleges and universities have really great guides for the policymaking process, but a lot don't. Mm -hmm. And so you have to talk to people and say, how does this actually go? And and who has to be consulted? And and who has an opinion versus decision-making authority, et cetera? And so the more we can codify the way decisions get made, the the less time we can waste Mm -hmm. and the faster we can move. Yeah. And just the transparency. This is who's going to make decision. Is it me? Is it the group? Is it consensus? Is it not? Um, And here's how we're going to do it. And these are the boundaries and these are the limitations. It's going to be an eight week process. We're deciding at the end of the meeting, you know, whatever that might be. I think people, when they know that ahead of time, it, it really helps not only feel better about the process, but also know, okay, I've got eight weeks. If I have anything important to say, I've right. got to think about it, figure it out in that time frame. And so I do have time to sit back and learn a little bit and read and listen to other opinions before I really offer. Yeah. But if that's not the case, then maybe I do need to speed up. So I think it helps the individuals also manage themselves in that process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know what, Keith, I want to just build on something you said, which was um, really knowing how the decision is going to be made. Because, and you've probably seen this in your career, talk to people who've had this experience. People sort of run a search committee, for example. Mm-hmm. And they say, our committee was, you know, committee comes together. They, they, you know, they have three finalists. They say, this is the top finalist. And the president or the provost or whoever chooses someone different. Right, right. And they're like, no, no, you charged us to be in the search committee. We told you who was the best candidate and you, you ignored our advice. Yeah. And so where things go better is when search committees are told right up front, I'm gonna be asking you to send me perhaps three people, um, their pros and cons, but I will be making the final decision. Right. Because otherwise people just get really angry when they feel like their decisions mm-hmm. were, their recommendations were ignored. Yeah, so having a process, being transparent about it and then mm-hmm. following it. I think that's one of the things we, this is where, where colleges get in trouble with policy. They have a policy and then they don't follow it. They don't follow it, that's right. right. That's right. So, so bringing that in, um, I think one of the things that um, comes up is well, we have this on the calendar. We have these meetings on the calendar, and I just think whatever y'all use for calendars, whether it's Google or Teams or or whatever, it's pretty sophisticated. Like you can cancel meetings, right? You don't have to send a memo out to everybody. We can you can adjust them from sixty minutes to forty five. You can. Mm You can uninvite people, right? Just because someone is invited to most of the weekly meetings, you can say, we don't have anything relevant to you this week, so we're going to uninvite you. Mm-hmm. Here's this gift of time back. So I just think, remember that the tools we have around meetings now allow us to be more nimble, more flexible, a little bit more uh, to make sure that this meeting is the way we want it and this meeting is the way we want it. We don't have to sort of say, well, we meet for 90 minutes every Monday afternoon. And so we're stuck with that. We can, right, we can exactly. use these tools to be more nimble. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we were talking about having the conversation, we were having the conversation about having the conversation, you offered a few uh, powerful questions uh, to discuss and, and offer. And I think these are not really questions for you, but these are questions you're inviting folks um, to think about. And so I'll just, I'll, I'll share all four of them and feel free to take them up wherever you want and and run with them. Um, but the questions that you're offering is, um, why is it worth the time to invest in your people? Mm -hmm. Who is wasting your time and why are you letting them? Mm -hmm. 
What is consuming your time, but adding very little value? And what is happens when our time is spent on activities that bring us no joy? Mm-hmm. And I think these are really, and I, I'm trying to say them quickly, even though they're on the screen in front of me, so that they can settle with folks and people can sort of notice what resonates with you, what sounds juicy to you, what sounds, oh no, I don't want to think about that, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which some of these evoke in me. Um, you want to say a little bit more about these? Sure. Well, one, maybe, well, maybe start with the first one, which is it, why is it worth the time to invest in your people? Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I, I learned through my executive coaching often is that people in big roles are busy mm-hmm. and um, they're really very often very outcomes focused, very task oriented. And the people stuff seems like uh, it's just taking time. A luxury. A luxury. And it's, it's interesting. I, I was talking to someone recently and um, he, he'd gotten some feedback about his leadership. And the feedback was that um, he was kind of cold and aloof standoffish. And he was, it was charming. And I thought, that, you know, the man that I'm talking to, that doesn't line up with this guy that I see. And he said, oh, I get that feedback all the time. I said, where does it come from? He's like, I'm busy. I'm busy. And he said, and actually, I don't care about your dog or your kids. I've got work. <laughs> and I said, okay, fair enough. Um, but I said, I said, and 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 small talk is just so, it's just so unproductive. And he said, exactly. And I said, it doesn't yield anything except trust, knowledge of what people are going through, some context for people's challenges. And he said, oh, oh. Mm. <laughs> so you know we we talked about you know could he spend just a few minutes checking in and what that might yield in ways that he had never imagined before Mm -hmm. so that's you know one thing way to think about it but the other way to think about it is when we're talking about time and trying to use time strategically what could other people be doing that we don't have to do but it takes a minute or it takes a few minutes or it takes some time to help people learn how to do what we need yeah. them to do. Um, and I appreciate that we're so busy. It's so hard to take the time, mm-hmm. but it's such a good investment of time. Mm-hmm. But it does take time to delegate, right? It's not a magic it solution. Yeah. 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 But you know, I was, I'm working with um, an organization right now that's got a lot of super complex process, really. So, so complex. And I said, I'm sure you you got it this way for a reason, but it just doesn't, it, just, it seems crushing the way it, they mm-hmm. designed it. And I said, I'm curious about why you haven't challenged the status quo here and said, this isn't, this is not good. We should change it. Mm-hmm. And the person said, we don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. We're so busy. We don't have time to make it easier. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just have to say, we're going to stop. Because this, to what end do we keep doing work that's so much harder than it needs to be? And it it takes time to take some, do process mapping and and look for ways to streamline. But if you can take a process that takes 126 steps, which I have seen before, and Mm -hmm. take it down to 12, I mean, think of all the time you can free up to do things that are so much more strategic. 
Well, and particularly when down the line, there might be 50 or 80 people going through that process. So you're not just freeing it up one time. These right, processes right. are, are the, the impact is, is multiplied out. So you could be saving yourself, you know, exactly. thousand hours and all right. of those people's uh, productivity and time and engagement, or just a minute to breathe and mm-hmm. think, I mean, one of the things in my coaching is so many leaders say that these conversations are so wonderful. It's the only time I have to think. Mm. I just, mm-hmm. I'm in meetings, I'm doing, I'm going, I'm responding to emails, I'm responding to phone calls, I'm responding to texts. I don't have time to just think. And um, when I share that with people, so many people resonate. I don't have time to to think about this process or what could it be or, or what could it do and, and opening some of that up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another of the other questions was who is wasting your time mm-hmm. and why are you letting them? So Keith, I'm going to invite you to answer that question. Who is wasting my time? I'm fortunate. Uh, you know, <laughs> I work on my own. Um, so, so me, uh, I'm I'm the one, right? Um, most of my, uh, I remember Peter Magolda in a session talking about balance, and everybody's complaining about their time and they don't have enough time, and particularly faculty and scholars. And Peter Magolda was sort of the mentor in the room, and he sort of nodded his head and he said, "Yep, I, I experience all of that." And then he said, and I've come to realize that most of that is self-inflicted. And everybody just went, Mm. oh, you're right. Mm. Um, So the people who are wasting my time is is me. And and it goes back to the 22-hour piata, making things more complicated than they need to be or focused on the wrong things and getting to the end of my morning and thinking I was super busy. But why was I working on that? Mm. That wasn't nearly as important as these other things. But I get caught. I, I get caught up in responding to emails too quickly and putting off mm-hmm. important things because it'll just take thirty seconds. But you know, uh, two hundred times, and now that's a lot of actual time. It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Traveling or something, and I can't look at email very much. So often, the problems get resolved by the end of the day. I never had to weigh in. Yes, yes. So just a little break, a little pause, a little letting it be, yeah, uh, can really be helpful for sure. Yeah. Especially with the people who, you know, maybe I don't want to say waste your time, but are high, high need, the faster you respond, the faster they're going to ask for the next thing. And so a little bit of space can be really useful. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of people feel like I get too many emails and so I've got to respond to them. Well, what happens when you respond to emails? You get more emails. You're more. <laughs> I know. So slow down. You don't have to be unresponsive or hyper-responsive, right? There's some middle ground there. Yeah. Yeah. It's even interesting you say that. Um, I mean, I like to be responsive, but when you respond immediately, it does suggest that you've got nothing else to do but respond to your yeah. email. And so people get used to that. And then when it takes you a couple of hours or longer, then they get mad at you. Right. So, yeah. Part of this is sort of uh, training other people how to work with us, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. It, that, just little, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just saying it was, it was what you talked about before. Here's the process, and let's be transparent about it. We can think about that for meetings and processes, but also here's me. Here's how I work. Here's what you can expect from me. Here's right. what you can expect from me. It's hard for me to do this. You can count on me to do this. Yeah. Um, and setting that up um, can be super helpful. Yeah. I mean, just one small thing, and this is so obvious, but not people don't do it, is using the appropriate subject line in the email. Mm. So, you know, other day I got a 
in email and it was you know on this topic so i'm like oh we're not doing that now so I'll, I'll look at it later and then i only to learn it was content for a very important meeting that was coming up it yeah. never would have occurred to me right. to look there yeah. and so you know when you're trying to when you get you know hundreds of emails every day if people could just sort of use some email etiquette or hygiene yeah. perhaps yeah. and yeah. just put you know, re, you know re, your review needed or just for fyi or be very clear about the topic it just makes everybody's lives easier yeah for sure well you turned it on me and we got down but who is wasting your time and why are you letting them and then what is consuming your time but adding very little value what do you hope uh will will evoke in people in, in reflecting on these questions well i think it's always good to do time log studies of yourself every mm -hmm. once in a while yeah. um, and you made this comment keith about you think i'm just going to write a 30 second email and often it'll take i find myself i'll think oh just to be fast and it's 15 minutes later and the time yeah. is gone, right Same. so um i think just being really aware of how you're spending your time is certainly super important mm -hmm. um but really what are you trying to accomplish and if i know what i'm really trying to the most important things what are the the critical few things i need to do in order to get there and trying not to be distracted by all the other things but i think yeah. you know if you don't like to disappoint people it's hard I, yeah. I just want to acknowledge that yeah but i think that when we are spending a lot of time on things that bring us no joy we, we we're not good at anything Right? We're, we're emotionally depleted. We don't have energy. We lose enthusiasm. We're not doing anything that would, you know, helps us be innovative. And mm -hmm. so um, several years ago, um, I was in a group of uh, my leadership team, and we were talking about the work that we really like and the work that we really don't like. And one of the people said, oh, I don't like to deal with people when they're mad. I just, I get so stressed. And another person said, I love that. Mm -hmm. I, I think of it as a game. I want to make them my friend. I want to talk them down. And so we just started making this process where someone really angry call, they got referred to Joan. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what we did. Mm -hmm. And she was happy. Everybody else was happy. And so we're not all going to be good at all the same things. Right. So why not acknowledge that and give people work to do that they're good at and then they love. And mm -hmm. then they'll be even better at what they do. Yeah. Well, it's a strength-based approach, right? Like, what do you love exactly. to do? What's the way? Let's help yeah. you do that more often and, and learn about each other so that the team is effective as possible. Right. So we don't have Keith doing 15 things of which he's only actually very good at three or four. Yeah. Um, and the rest of it's draining energy and yeah, productivity, innovation, clear thinking, good decisions, but also openness to diversity and engaging in healthy conflict. Um, so many important things there. But it also reminds me of that, but organizationally. So um, a campus that I worked with has shared that they had everyone in their student affairs division map out every month of the year and how busy their unit was. Okay. And everybody just sort of did it independently. And then they shared that with everybody. You could sort of see they did it in these mm -hmm. beautiful little dials. You could sort of see this mm -hmm. office is super busy in April and May and June and July are less. So they pick up a little bit in August, but not really until the middle of September. And it just really helped with a lot of collaboration because they all had stories about how busy they were mm -hmm. and they had stories about how busy everybody else was. And okay. so I might not reach out to collaborate with you because you must be super busy. I just think so. And so I don't want to bother you. When in reality, that might not be the case for you. And then of course they found some folks thought they were over busy all the time. That's a different problem and one we have to engage in. Um, 
But I think just sort of noticing and being aware of what other individuals are bringing and not bringing, what's hard, what's what's not hard, and then also other organizations. I think there's a lot of siloing um, with great intentions. <laughs> I don't. Mm. I just don't want to bother you. I just don't want right. to. I don't want to intrude. I know you're doing such important work, or I know you're so busy. And I think that gets in the way of a lot of good collaboration. Did they change their process after? Did they change something as a result of learning about that? Yeah, it just helped. I mean, everybody thought everybody was super busy in August because um, many student affairs units are getting ready for students right. to come and training and things like that. But there are a lot of units that couldn't. And so you could say, okay, I know those folks are mm. really busy, mm-hmm. but we're we're kind of in the preparing. And so, hey, let's connect about that thing that happens in December when the lead up to December is really hard for both of us. So let's collaborate on that now. We can do mm-hmm. that. Or, mm-hmm. oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, the flu season really hits the health and medical center. Of course, I wouldn't have thought of that, but okay, right. good to know. All right, how do we spread some of this out? Yeah. The other thing is I talk to people a lot about is just how do you, if you can, use your own calendar that's aligned with your body rhythms. Mm. Uh, and it's not always possible. I want to acknowledge that some people don't have a lot of flexibility, but you know, if you have the if you have the you know the ability to work very intensely in the morning for like I'm a morning person, so if mm-hmm. I can have a few hours in the morning, I can be amazing. But if I start meetings at you know really early, um, you know I'm just okay because mm-hmm. I don't think you know I, I'm not as crisp a thinker later in the day as I am in the in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I try mm-hmm. to schedule my calendar that way. Yeah. That's great. And that, that's self-awareness and then self-management, right? Mm-hmm. I know this about myself. I think a lot of people say, oh, I, I'm not a morning person and right. then they don't do anything about it, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, right? Mm-hmm. Or this is this is a time where I'm just not at my best and but they're not sort of managing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been awesome. We've gone all sorts of places I never expected we would go, but we, we are running out of time. And this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. So we always like to end with this question. What are you thinking about or troubling or pondering now? Might be related to what we've talked about, might be unrelated. Uh, there's something that is with you now. And if you want to share where folks can connect with you, that would be great as well. So what are you troubling now? What I've been troubling and pondering. Mm-hmm. So I just made a big life move. I just moved from Tucson, Arizona to Iowa City uh, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so it is a time for me of brand new beginnings after you know 27 years in the same city. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how to be very intentional about growing a new set of friends and um, you know a, a network. And mm-hmm. wanting to be strategic about it and wanting to be with really good people, but wanting to be thoughtful about how to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes a gift to have this sort of clean slate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it for other people as like other people in our lives that used to serve us, but aren't really serving us now. Am I on a board that's not bringing me joy? Am I doing volunteer work that's not so great? Am I on a softball team that used to be fun, but it's really not? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we shed that and sort of break up with our past to have, you know, emerge anew? And so that's yeah. what I've been thinking about. Yeah. So I love that. And congratulations, because folks who are watching can see that you've just moved and you have a beautiful color coded bookcase behind you. So you're <laughs> and doing, boxes everywhere else in the house. You're doing <laughs> great. You're doing great. Um, and I think one of the things uh, that I mentioned to my coaching clients a lot when you move to a new city or you start a new job. As grownups, we don't get a lot of fresh starts. Uh-huh. And so 
take full advantage of it. You know, have, yeah. have new, what new habits do you want to leave behind? Yes, Start, yes, what, yes. what habits do you want to leave behind? You're in a new home, new cues, right. new environment, new route to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. What kind of fresh starts do you want to want to have? So take advantage yeah, right. of that fresh start. Yeah. And I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to reach me. Um, other things too, but um, that's probably the best way to start. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much well, for this invitation, Keith. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for the conversation and uh, being thoughtful and playful along the way. I really, really appreciate it. It's been terrific. Thanks to your for your leadership and your writing. And, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, thanks to our sponsors of today's episode, Simplicity. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success and accessibility services. To learn more, visit Simplicity or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. As always, a huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who was also at the University of Arizona for some time, who does all of the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. We love the support for these important conversations from our community. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to our podcast, YouTube, and weekly newsletter announcing each new episode and more. If you're so inclined, you can also leave us a five-star review. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to our fabulous guest today, Allison Valancourt, and to everyone who's watching and listening. Please make it a great week. Thank you. 